0: Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Uh, but we're going to start in, Gen- in Galatians chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 26 today. Uh, so go ahead and flip there if you got it. If not, it'll be on the screen. But Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. And we're going to read through uh, verse 7 of chapter 4. If you are able, go ahead and stand on your feet with me as we get into the word this morning. you've got it, go ahead and say, got it. Let's try it again. I only heard like five people say, got it. You got it? You got it. Thanks, Dave. I heard you, buddy. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Hear now the reading of God's word. It says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And if a son, then an heir through God. Very word of God, amen. Today I want to preach on the topic of foreign freedom. A foreign freedom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. God, I do ask right now that you would hide me behind your cross, God. Decrease me so that you may increase in this place. Father, have your way. We need a word from you, not from me. Holy Spirit, be in our hearts, be in our ears, and our eyes to see and hear what you would have for us. In Christ's name, we all said together, Amen, Amen. You can be seated. Well, this summer, guys, and some of you know this, but um, during my sabbatical for uh, my own well being, I, I did a decent amount of. Counseling and as well as leadership coaching this summer. And a lot of, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to have a counseling session right now. But uh, one of the things that uh, I was constantly asked by my coach, counselor, as well as some of my friends is, Derek, how would you have liked to be seen as a child? Now, this is a hard question for me. It's a hard question because I, I simply have never thought about it before. I've never thought about this before, and I don't think many of us do unless we're prompted. I mean, we can think back to our childhood and say, this is what happened when I was a child. I remember this. This was fun, or this wasn't so good. We did this when we were kids. But to ask the question of how I'd like to be seen as a child is really tough really tough. And I thought about the question, and most of you, if you've been here for a while, you know some of my story. Growing up in Gary, Indiana, murder capital of the world when I was there in the 90s, oldest of three younger sisters uh, in a single-parent household with my mother, and seemingly the man of the house from age of five. I answered this question, and I said, you know, I, I wish I was just able to be seen as a child. I wish I was able to just mess up. I wish I didn't have to have it all together and be perfect or carry the seemingly heavily, heavy weight of being the man of the house at age five. I just wish I had the freedom to be a kid. Now, I don't say this to knock my parents because any of us can look back and say, well, I wish I was seen as dot, dot, dot as a kid. But the reality is, is that that's the problem. It's because none of us have really experienced truly what it means to have true freedom being a child. Because at some point, responsibility kicks in. It kicks in or performance where we try to be the best or we seek approval, whether that's from our parents or somebody else, the world might just smack you in the face with trials and trauma, maybe physical ailments start taking over your body and freedom goes out the window. Some would say life just happens. And this is problematic because as we get to the text, we'll see that Paul here lets us know that through faith in Jesus, we as believers are heirs or sons of God, which should give us freedom. But there's the issue, because the freedom that comes with being an heir to the Most High God is foreign. We we don't understand this freedom. Freedom to live without worry? Freedom to live without anxiety, without fear in my life? Freedom to not have to work for approval? Wait, what? Freedom to just be you, should I say, a child. That's foreign. doesn't make sense. Instead, we do just like the Galatian church does, and we revert back to proving ourselves, consciously and unconsciously, through our works. And so today I I, I I want you all to understand what it means to be an heir and walk in freedom. I, I'm gonna be honest, I had all these points, three points nice and pretty for y'all today, but that's really the point. I want you to know what it means to be an heir and to walk in freedom. Because it's foreign. As we jump into the text today, Paul, he's been telling the Galatian church over and over again, if you've been with us, that there's no new gospel. There's no new way of being saved. It's by God's grace and through faith in Jesus Christ that you are saved. There's nothing else. And the reason he keeps reiterating this is because... There was this new gospel that's entering the land where they're saying, well, no, you, you, you just got to do the right things. And if you do these right things, then you'll be saved. Or if you live according to the law, you'll be saved. And, and Paul's like, no, no, no. It's by grace through faith. There's nothing new here. It's not your works. It's Jesus' works on your behalf. I, and, and last week, Pastor Steve, he walked us through the text in chapter 3, and he brought the, brought the point home a little bit more because Paul says that you are are sons and daughters of a promise, a promise that was given to Abraham as the father of the faith that would be fulfilled through his offspring. Now, notice the word offspring is singular here. It's not offsprings. It's offspring, which speaks to the coming Messiah, one that would come through the line of Abraham, not just his sons, but the one that would come and save the people. So he's talking about this coming Messiah. This is the line of Abraham, which is Jesus. Now, the promise that was given to Abraham was some 430 years before the Mosaic law was given in Exodus. So Paul, what he's trying to say here is that as much as you think if you follow the law and you do this with the work of your hands and you follow your moralistic ways, as much as you think that will save you, it's not going to save you. In fact, it was only put in place after the promise To keep you in line until the fulfillment of the promise, offspring comes through Jesus. And so Paul's saying, Look, look, the law is really a guide for you. It it was a tutor, as the text says, it was a tutor to teach you about the expectations of holiness from God. And by you trying to fulfill it, the hope is that as you're doing this, you would see your inability to fulfill it. And then in in, in return, you'll, you'll see that I need a savior. I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to get me through this. So, in essence, the law was to guide you to Christ. And see, I've said this in the past, and Steve said it last week, but when you get to the Old Testament law and you start reading it, it seemingly kind of binds you on all sides. Because as you read the law and you get into it, you look at it like there's no way I can fulfill all of these laws and legalities. I can't do this. And in reality, it should show you how imperfect you actually are. It should show us we need a Savior. Paul says it's not the law that justifies you. It's your faith in Jesus that justifies you. Again, Paul is drawing the Galatian church back. He's drawing us back to this understanding of it's not by our works that it's not our works that save us, but it's faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that saves us. That's how we're saved. He's pulling them back to this understanding. Paul says the law was it was never to save you, but instead it's the promised Messiah that was going to come through the line of Abraham before the law was actually given. It's Jesus through faith in him. Not only are you saved, but here it is, you receive the same inheritance that was meant for Jesus. Now you're heirs. And when you understand you're an heir, y'all hear me, it changes everything. It changes everything. When you understand, do not miss this, as a Christian, you're not just saved from eternal damnation, but you're a co-heir. It changes Everything. Paul is saying, stop reverting back to your own righteousness, but instead live as a son or a daughter of the Most High God. The law and your own righteousness, they they bind you, they held you in captivity when you live as a child of God. There's freedom. There's freedom. And this is where Paul begins in Verse 26. If you got your Bibles open, look at it with me. He says, You're all sons of God. Paul says that all who believe in Jesus are sons of God, not by works, but again by faith. And see, here lies the problem. And I believe, because most of us, as I said before, in the beginning, we don't truly understand what it's like to experience the freedom. Of truly being a child son of God a child we don't know this type of freedom and even if your parents have allowed you to experience some freedom here's the reality you were reared in a world that was geared towards performance you do this to achieve you do this to get by that's the way we're reared so we only know as Paul has alluded to in chapter three how to work according to the law we only know what's been told to us as right or wrong. So the question becomes, well, what does it mean? And what does it look like to be a son of God? And I know, I know, I know, I know some of you are already like, you're just hung up on this whole son of God thing. Because you're like, Pastor, D, why, why, why can't we say children of God? Because that, that doesn't include women. Well, listen to me. Listen to me. Commentators make a really good point on this. Paul says son of God here on purpose. Because back then when he's writing this letter, women were not included in the inheritance. And so follow me, sonship here is a legal term where the inheritance was only given to the eldest son or an adopted son if the wealthy man did not have a son. So the wording son of God here is important because he's using this saying that the believer has access to all the father has given Jesus. But notice he says, you all, you all are sons of God. When he says this, he's speaking of men and women. So in actuality, Paul is ruffling the feathers of everybody in the room like this is for men and women. They would have been upset about this because he's including women in something that was never supposed to be for them. See, if if you just say you're all children of God, then they would have been like, oh, yeah, that's cool. We believe that, you know, we're all made in the image of God, men and women. So, yeah, we believe that. But he doesn't say that. He says that you're now a son of God. So he's including women in an inheritance that was only meant for men. So we, listen to me, listen to me, we got to be careful to not so quickly critique the text and miss the significance around it because you feel like you're not included? Where well, he doesn't say women or if it's like man or the bride of Christ, too. It's like, what does this mean? Or well, this doesn't make any sense to me. Pastor D, why don't you include women and men in your, women in your preaching sometimes or men in the preaching? And I do sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, well, this is you're all children or this and that. But right here, we got to allow Paul to say th- this masculine noun to get at what he's really saying. He's saying that Jesus died for the whole world. And all who believe are saved. But not only that. As a believer, you're now an heir. And you get access to all Jesus gets from the Father. I hope you're with me on this thing. This is very radical. Radical. And you got to allow him to use this gender-specific noun here. And so all, he says, both women and men, are sons of God. Paul moves on and he says... All who have been baptized in the Christ have put on Christ. What he's saying is that as a believer, we celebrate this here at our church. Baptism, when you're baptized, you go under the water as a believer. When you go under the water, the old you is dying. Jesus went to the cross. He was buried. He took all our sins to the grave. So your sin symbolically, your old you, your ways is being buried with Christ under the water. And as you come out of the water, we say you're raised to walk in newness of life, just like Christ rose from the grave with newness of life and power in his hands. That old you is gone, and now you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says, you now have put on Christ." You're a new creation. He uses this imagery of clothing right here. Now, I need you to go with me on this. It's kind of like you get a new outfit. Some of y'all probably bought some new, a new outfit this week. You know, when you get a new outfit, some of us, we, we just start acting all brand new. You know, like, look at me. I'm nice out here in these streets, you know. And, and you were dusty before. If y'all don't know what that means, you, you just weren't all, you wasn't looking good. You was dusty before, and now you got the outfit on, you're like, oh, I'm nice out here in these streets. Look at me. You feel good because you put new clothes on. You got a, you got a new pair of shoes. It makes you feel good about yourself. You, you feel different because you just put some new clothes on. Paul is saying, by you putting on Christ, your old habits and the old you is gone. But now you have been baptized, you have put on Christ. It's no longer you anymore, but you're now new in Christ. Even more so, you are united with Christ. God the Father doesn't look at you and say, I, 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 Mike, that, that, I, I, I'm looking at you, or Dave, I'm looking at you. No, no, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. Jesus. You're clothed with Christ as a believer. You're covered by Jesus. In essence, he's saying that now, as a believer, your identity is in Jesus, not in what you do, not in what you can do, but in Jesus. This means that believers we're accepted when we believe by God because of Jesus, and that as a believer, you're no longer to walk in your own ways, but you're to be like Christ. You're you're to you're to take up his virtues. You take on his actions. We're, we're to de- be like him, to depend on him. To be clothed in Christ means to think constantly of Christ. It's, it, it means to have his spirit, or if you want to say, to allow his, his character in, to infuse and permeate every part of your, your being to think and say and do like Christ. It, it, it's, it, it's way deeper than just following the law and and doing good works and and doing things of that nature like regulations. It's about the closeness, the intimacy with Jesus and the believer. But I believe Paul knew, even with all of that, that they still wouldn't get this. And so I love Paul because he just reiterates things a different way. Verse 28, he takes it a step further and he says, well, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all in one, all one in Christ, Jesus. What Paul is saying is that just in case you, you don't understand and you, you just try to revert backwards to the old way, he said, let me, let me break down some of the barriers that exist in your mind, that exist in your heart. Why? Because I want you to understand your true position in Jesus. I want you to walk in these ways. And so what he does is he starts with the intimacy between the believer and Christ in verses 26 through 27. And then he he goes a step further and he says, let me show you the unity between the new believer and their new identity, the the group of believers. Let Let me show you the unity between believers and their new identity. Because some of us, if we're honest in here, we read this and you hear the air of God and you're like, man, All I got to do is believe by faith. Man, I've done everything in my life by myself. I've worked hard. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I got to where I am because of me. I, I eat what I kill. This is me. I don't know about this whole just believing, and that's cool. Or you might be saying, well, man, I've done all these things. Pastor, you don't know my story. There's no way that I could just be accepted. Or even worse, you're looking around the church and you're like, man, ain't no way he accept her or him or him. I know their story. God got no way that they're going to be in heaven. And, and Paul says it doesn't matter who you are based off of what you've done, what you look like, but based off your faith, you're accepted. Listen, family, the gospel has radical social implications. Paul says to be Christian is to be Christian before I am anyone or anything else. All barriers and warring factions come down in Christ. Y'all don't believe me. Look at the text. Look at what he says. He says he starts by tearing down the cultural barrier. He says neither Jew nor Gentile. Both are accepted is what he's saying. Neither is better than the other. Then he dismantles the class barrier by saying, neither slave nor free, where he's saying the poor and the rich are both accepted by Christ. They're treated the same. And then he hits the gender barrier one more time. He says, nor female or male, both are equal in Christ. In fact, he ends chapter 3 by saying, if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs to a promise. Paul says it doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter your economic status, it doesn't matter your gender or what you have done if you believe you are God's son. You are an heir. In other words, in all that I've said so far, and all that Paul has been saying, is that I'm trying to get you to understand your status. I'm trying to get you to understand who you are in Christ now that you believe. I need you to start walking now as an heir. I need you to act like you're supposed to. But therein lies the problem. Even after all Paul has said, he knew that they would miss it. He knew they wouldn't get it. He knew that they would just revert backwards because again, to constantly live In the state of freedom, understanding that I'm an heir that's covered by grace, I'm I'm covered by Jesus and what he's done for me. That's a foreign type of freedom. That's a foreign grace. It makes no sense. We know again from childhood how to perform. We know how to follow rules. We know how to achieve, which steers us away from this understanding of working from approval, and we go right back to working for approval. I need to do this. I need to do that. I got to achieve this status in my life, or, or I haven't made it, or everybody's not going to, they're going to look down on me. And, and whether it's conscious or unconscious, y'all, it is very hard to break the chains of moralistic living or proving oneself. It's hard. And so this freedom, it's foreign. It's hard. It's hard for us to just say, Lord, I don't just believe in you for salvation, but but I believe in you and I trust you to provide for the rest of my life. It's not me. I, I got you, Jesus. It's hard for us to say that. Listen, we trust God for salvation, and then somewhere down the line... And we we trust them for salvation. Then we're like, well, you know, I'm going to just go back to this. I got to do this. I got to get this done. I do all this. We we, we trust them, and then we revert right back to living by our works and proving ourselves. And Paul says, no, you're a son. You're an heir. Don't go backwards. And so he takes it a step further. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. He says, although we have trusted Christ, here it is, we don't understand what being an heir is. So he uses this analogy, and he says it's like a child who's an heir. He, he's no different than a slave, although he's an heir to, to, the, to the owner of everything. He's an heir and doesn't understand his inheritance or what awaits him, and so he lives like a slave under guardians and managers until the day that he actually gets his inheritance. Paul's saying we just like that slave. We're just like that little child. All we know is elementary principles of the world, to work, to achieve, and gain by the standards of the world. And this is how we all know how to work. Do this, achieve, gain acceptance, performance, performance, performance. That's what we know. The Galatians, you look at them, all they knew was the law. They all, that's all know. Let me live by these standards. That's what I gotta do. But verse 4, I love this because Paul uses the word but. I love when I see the word but in scripture, this contrasting conjunction where Paul says, this is how we we all knew how to live. This is what we we do. We, we, we live like someone who didn't understand what's ahead of him and, and hasn't received their inheritance, but God. But God sent his son, he says, who was born under the same law to redeem those under the law. Again, Paul is saying we all live by a set of rules and laws that the world has given us. And sadly, we've had it in our own families with our parents. And Jesus came not to do away with that law, but he came to fulfill the law. He's the only one who came. To this earth, born humans like us as a baby grew in the world and was living, lived a perfect life. He didn't sin. He wasn't imperfect like us. And with that, he saw that we couldn't live up to this perfect standard set by God, and he makes his way to the cross. And when he gets on the cross, he takes all of our imperfections, all of our sin, all of our wrongdoing on himself. Now, through faith in the perfect sacrificial lamb of God, we're adopted as heirs of God, which don't miss this. This means he takes on the penalty that we deserve, but in exchange, we get the blessing that only he deserved. Y'all missing it. Y'all too quiet in here. That's grace. That's grace. let me break this down because y'all missed everything I said, and I don't want y'all to miss the goodness here in this passage. Verse four through five tells us that Christ came and he redeemed those under the law, so that we might receive adoption. Jesus redeemed, meaning set free, by paying the wage of the slave, paying the wage of our sin. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, there's that but again, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So Jesus paid the debt, by dying. He was born under the law and fulfilled it, then paid our debt. Now, as we come of age, if you want to say, or we come to belief in Jesus, we receive his inheritance through his work. We now, verse 5, have full rights as, as sons through adoption as sons. That, that's that word, sonship again. Again, just to remind you This is a legal word. For example, in the Greco-Roman world, a childless, wealthy man, because he didn't have an heir, he didn't have a son, he can adopt one of his servants. And at that moment when he adopts his servant, brings him into his house, although he's not from the same bloodline, he gets the same privileges and the same financial privileges as a son or an heir would receive, although he has no relations. This understanding of divine adoption in Jesus is amazing. This is why adoption is overtly a Christian principle. Because all of us in here, we're not directly from that bloodline. But Jesus died on the cross making a way for us to be adopted sons through his work of God, of God, God the Father. Don't miss what I'm saying here. So what Paul is saying is that yes, we need to understand that we're saved by grace. But we also, in this, receive the privileges of sonship that Jesus only had. You're not saved and then you go back to living under the law or based off of your works. There's grace. Jesus removed the curse we deserved and he gives us the blessing he deserved. Paul says, I need y'all to start walking in that freedom. I need you to understand this. You are God's heir. He's for you. He cares for you. You have eternity to look forward to. Walk in this. But yet again, even in all the passion that I'm preaching with, and Paul is he's writing this letter, I, I, he knew that they would miss it. And so verse 6, he says, you know, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. When you accept Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit secures that legal status now as a son. The Holy Spirit helps us experience the freedom we have as heirs. The Spirit helps us call out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. There's this closeness that we experience, uh, this calling in our prayer of really calling God Daddy. Now, if you're like me and you grew up any way like me, this is foreign for me. Because if I'm honest with you, and I look back throughout my childhood, I can't ever remember calling my earthly daddy, daddy. I I never knew this type of intimacy. This is foreign. And so the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, fully God, but spirit within us, helps us call out to the Father, Abba. Abba, I need you. Just like Jesus did when he's hanging on the cross, Abba. The Holy Spirit secures, assures us that God is near and that he is with us. We get to enjoy the gifts of being an heir when we walk by the power of the Spirit. And I know you're asking, well, how in the world do I walk by the power of the Spirit, Pastor? I hear you saying this, but I don't know what that means. Listen, we walk by the power of the Holy Spirit by meditating day and night on the goodness of Jesus by meditating on the word of God, by living a prayerful life and dwelling in community. And I know you're still probably like, well, what does that look like? Well, here's a practical way to think about it. I call it spiritual breathing because your walk with Jesus should be as constant as breathing, you communicating with him and being with him. And the Holy Spirit helps us. So one way to do this is is breathing. So I want everybody to take a breath with me. Let it go feels good to take a breath, doesn't it? Every now and then you need to. But the practice around spiritual breathing is this. When you breathe in, you breathe in the truths of God. When you let your air out, you confess, you repent, you let go of all the things you're holding on to. When you breathe in, the word tells me that I was fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God that I'm loved, he knows every hair on the top of my head. God, I'm sorry that I've doubted your love towards me, that I haven't even been loving myself. I've done this, I've done that. But my word says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, Or you're my son, you're my daughter, and I cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. Father, I'm sorry. I've messed up. My thoughts have been all over the place. I'm a wrong and wretched man. I'm a wretched woman. 1 John 1.9 says that I'm just and righteous to forgive. And John 10.10 says there's nothing that can snatch me out of your hands for you are mine. And I see what I'm saying. Like, it's, like, it's like breathing. When you walk with Christ and you meditate on the goodness of God, what ends up happening in the midst of that, you see how messy you are, but you see how good he is. And the Holy Spirit helps you in that because you can't help but to say, Daddy, Abba, I'm so messed up. I need you. See, as you meditate on the goodness of God in the midst of your mess, Abba, thank you, Daddy. Thank you. I belong to you. Because you see your heart, you see your mess. But yet, the truth of the gospel is that you're still accepted. You're still loved based off the work that he's done through his son? That's a love that's foreign that makes no sense. You scream, Abba, thank you. Paul ends and he says, so you're no longer a slave, verse 7, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Again, we have legal rights to all the father has in his estate. Listen, because of this, Christians don't walk in fear of anyone or anything because our daddy is in charge of everything. As heirs, God the father treats you as he would treat Jesus. We now, as Jesus, clothed with Christ, can approach the Father as Jesus Himself, because He's our Daddy. You don't have to go through a pastor or priest or anybody else. He calls you His heir. You're His son, you're His daughter, you're His. See, when we know we're heirs of God, it changes everything. It gives us freedom. And so to bring this all home and bring us back to where I started in the beginning, how do I stand in front of you now knowing my story? And I'm not a broken mess of a man. I'm not crushed. I'm not destroyed. Not being able to be a child or be seen as a child from Gary, murder capital of the world, single parent, household, all of these things, carrying weights on my shoulders all of my life. How am I not battered and bruised and broken before you? Because here's the truth. I still carry the lie, and I have to fight off the demon of proving my worth and proving myself to people. I'm not obsolete from that. I have to battle that. But when the lie creeps up in my soul that I got to prove myself and I got to be something for you, I remember that I'm a son of God. He's already done all the work. He's proved my worth on the cross. I ain't got to prove nothing to you. I can walk in freedom because my daddy is over everything. That's a different type of freedom. That's a different type of love. And it leaves you in this space where you cry out, Abba, thank you, Jesus, because I finally experienced the freedom of being a child. I finally experienced the freedom of being an heir. Walking in that type of freedom is different because there's no other person in my life or in your life or in this world that can give you that type of freedom. Where you're loved, not because of what you do, but based off of God's love by itself. He loves you. I don't have to do nothing. That's a, that's a different type of love. I've never knew that type of love, which makes me scream out, Abba, I belong to you. For I'm yours. I belong to you. You are mine. Thank you, Jesus. So Paul says, Stop living like a slave. Stop going backwards like you've always done. He says, live like the heir that you are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, God. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you call us sons. That we're your children that we can live like heirs and be free from anxiety, free from fear that surrounds us because of what others want from us, family members, co-workers, bosses, whatever it may be. And we can stand before you and you loved us and you love us now based off of nothing that we've done, based off of what Jesus, your son, has done for us and you look at us cloaked in the clothing of Jesus and you say, that's my son. Well done. Well done, Mike. Well done, Maria. Well done, Julian. Based off of what Jesus has done, that's foreign. And so, Father, I pray that you would even today as we walk out of here, that we'd walk in that grace, that we'd walk in what you've done for us. And that we would know you not only today, but forevermore throughout our lives. I pray for the one that's struggling in their faith. that They would just say, I'm done, Father. And they would cry out, Abba, I need you. And you would work in their hearts in only a way that you can, based off the confession of their faith in you as Lord Jesus. to Be saved, God, I pray. For the person that's been far away from you and is coming back, Lord, that they would know that you are a just and righteous and forgiving God and your mercies endure not only today but forevermore. That they would know that they're loved and you'll never leave nor forsake them. Let them walk as an heir of the Most High God. Father, we thank you. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together.